rough roads lead to beautiful destinations. And we just put that in there as like, this is part of the adventure. And if that doesn't sound like something that you're going to be into, you're just not, it's not a good fit. And you're finding the person who wants to have this no Wi-Fi, no utilities out in the middle of nowhere experience. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 111 with Christy Wolf. I have known Christy Wolf for years because she is kind of an OG tiny house dweller. She did it a long time ago, and she is also a total rock star in the tiny house slash unique Airbnb space. You've probably seen one of her amazing unique Airbnbs, whether it's her treehouse in Hawaii, her hobbit holes in Washington, or more recently, a fire tower, like a literal fire tower lookout that she converted to an Airbnb in Idaho. Christy is incredibly scrappy, doing most of the building herself with super inexpensive materials. She makes a lot of things that other people just buy off the shelf, and her work is incredible. And in this conversation, we'll talk about her building philosophy, how she transforms properties into super desirable Airbnbs, even if they're not in super desirable locations, how she finds land, which she always buys for really cheap, and more. It's a really awesome conversation, and I learned a lot talking to Christy Wolf, and I know you will too. Are you fascinated by the tiny lifestyle but not sure if living in one is for you? Relax and let your tiny dreams run wild while you color 15 unique tiny homes inside and out. Coloring is a perfect activity for being stuck at home especially after you've watched everything on Netflix. The Color Me Tiny coloring book includes a variety of tiny houses on wheels and the beautiful nature that surrounds them. The images all come from real photos that highlight the broad range of tiny house shapes and sizes. Each featured home also includes an interior scene to show what it's like to live in a tiny house day after day. So if you want to color a tiny Vardo on the beach, a cozy tiny house on wheels nestled in the snow, or several homes that feature their four-legged occupants, Color Me Tiny is for you. Color Me Tiny is on sale for just $9.99 and ships free via Amazon Prime. You can learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash color. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash color. Right. I am here with Christy Wolf. Christy is a talented builder and an Airbnb entrepreneur. She owns some of the top favorited Airbnb properties in the world, including a treehouse in Hawaii, a hobbit hole in Washington, a fire tower, and most recently, the Idaho potato. Uh, with over a thousand five star reviews, Christy is now putting together a course with everything you need to know about running a successful Airbnb. Christy Wolf, welcome to the show. Thank you. So these these interviews and these shows are are meant to kind of be be timeless or like not just about current events. But I, I just right. have to ask, since uh, the whole COVID thing is kind of wrecking the travel industry right now, how are things going with your with your listings? 
It's definitely wrecked us. Um, Actually, I feel like having a unique space, we're holding out better than a lot of people are. But in Hawaii, that has been shut down for almost a month now. And and then as of a couple of weeks ago, they made it so anybody coming into the state has to quarantine for 14 days. There's like a $5,000 fine if you're like out and about. So that has like completely shut down. I think I hosted my last person at the beginning of March and now April is completely open and we'll see how long it lasts. Luckily, my places are so far out that we've still been getting people coming that are able to, um, we created a hashtag called the stay safe staycation where you can travel with the people whom you live with out to here. And we have like a really rigorous, um, we just stepped up our cleaning standards and then they can, go back to their place. So uh, my Hobbit Hole hasn't, it had tons of cancellations, but it keeps getting rebooked. Same with the potato. And then the lookout has been, has gone off a lot uh, because it's so remote. Yeah, I would imagine. But it seems like if you can get there, you know, a lot of, a lot of plane travel has also been curtailed, but if you can manage to get there right now is kind of an opportunity to stay in some really unique places. Yeah, well, I was posting about like uh, like a week discount at the lookout, and I was talking about what you would need to do and all these things. And I was like, man, I think I might go. I might actually go next week. <laughs> I kind of convinced myself that it'd be nice to not have Twitter for a week, you know? Yeah, definitely. It it I find that my like happiness and anxiety levels are like inversely related to how much like news that I read. I know it's so hard to stay away though. Yeah. Especially like when your livelihood and everything depends on it. Absolutely. Yeah, we're we're kind of at the other end of this like um having to move our tiny house and you know currently looking for a property not to buy but somebody who will host us who wants to kind of go in on Airbnb with us and it's been surprisingly hard to to find and it's like how does splitting 50% of the profits sound to you? Like it's Right. I, to me, it seems like a like an easy sell, but I guess not. Yeah, crazy. Um, so so one thing that I've always admired about about your work is that the the building that you do the the buildings that you do all look like they should have cost like tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, but you <laughs> are like the scrappiest, cheapest builder, and I mean that as a compliment. I'll take it. Yeah, I'm I'm very resourceful, super cheap. Um, I think that that comes from one my age, like being growing up pre-internet, where you could just get whatever you wanted. You know, if I wanted something in Seventeen magazine, I had to sew it because it wasn't coming to my small town in Idaho. You know, so um, I think that's part of it. And then my mom is super scrappy and figuring things out and coming from like a family that didn't have a lot of means could never afford the things that we wanted. And now that I have had some financial success, I still find that the things that I want are still out of reach. (laughs) That level of taste has just gone up too. So I still end up making everything uh, pretty much myself. Yeah. And you, um, you know, for anyone who wants to kind of follow along, you are, you're very active on Instagram stories. So like whenever you're, it seems like whenever you're working on a construction project, like I can follow along and kind of see your progress. 
Yeah, I don't, I'm not one of the um, really great bloggers that documents everything, but if you want to see a scrambly uh, Instagram video of me figuring it out in real time, I'm uh, good for that. Yeah, no, it it's, it's good. It kind of, it keeps you honest in a way. And also it's, it's a way to kind of show the haters like, no, I am actually doing this work. Like this is actually right. me. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how, you know, those choices, cause you, you have been able to do these properties for less than they would seem, you know, is that helping you right now during this kind of major travel downturn? For sure. So basically, I try to make them profitable for their first 100 nights rented. And for me, that's usually roughly the first 100 days that they're open. So I'll usually launch my listing on Airbnb probably a month before, like when I'm halfway through the project. So there's like hardly any pictures, nothing, and start getting those pre um, bookings rolling in. So that way, in a hundred days, hopefully, I'll have made back my money and just be operating from there. And that's on the building and the land. Um, it's on the building. Some of them, actually, I would say that that's probably true for the land as well. Maybe a little bit more. But since I bought the, I bought all of my land um, owner carry, I ne- and with like really low interest rates, I've never like paid them off before the three years that they were up. So I never have really considered that to be part of it. But I also buy really cheap land. The most expensive land I've bought was eighteen thousand dollars for five acres. Um, I should say that's not true. Um, the lookout where I bought a building. 12 acres, that was my most expensive property. And, um, and that wasn't so much a financial choice as much as my other ones were, because it was still cheap. It was 67,000. Uh, there's a train rolling by. Hopefully you can still hear me. Yeah, no, I, I can okay. hear the train just a little bit, but it's good. It's, it's adding like a mood. Here's to the thing about cheap land. It might be right next to a railroad track. <laughs> This land was very cheap, cost me about 5000 So the lookout was one that I had had a lookout on my list for years of, of like these builds that I want to do. And for me, a lot of it is about the creative endeavor and less about the financial gains. It seems like those kind of go hand in hand for me, thankfully. And also it's what I thought was a bad business model of me like building in all these different spots has turned out in this with this whole virus thing has turned out to be really good because if I would have put all my eggs in why I mean my eggs are still in the travel market but if I would have put it all in that location I would be ruined right now so yeah the lookout was a little bit more expensive also owner carry with a five-year deal so what what's owner carry maybe you can kind of explain that and also is, was that something that you, is that something that you suggest to the owners of the land when you go to buy it yeah so nobody had offered that in their um in their for sale ad that i found the first one i had was actually the land that the potato is now but i had moved my tiny house out there years and years ago and that was five thousand dollars and that's where i am right now in my tiny house in additional land that I purchased 
last year. But yeah, I, at that time I was working for like 12 bucks an hour. This is about a decade ago. And I said, Hey, I have a thousand dollars. Can you, can I buy this over the next five months, a thousand dollars a month? And he said, sure. And typically the places that I'm buying, nobody wants. And so the, the sellers don't have a lot of options. So I, I guess, got confidence from that. And that was zero interest. Then I went and bought the Hawaii property for $8,000, zero interest over three years. And then I just kept doing that. So on my subsequent properties, I just said, hey, would they take 20% down, 6% interest rate over however, usually a three-year deal, but the lookout was significantly more expensive than I had spent. So I did a five-year deal with that. And so do you then, do you have like a lawyer who writes up a contract for that or you just kind of shake on it? You know me better than that. (laughs) No, I'm so unprofessional. It's usually through the realtor and the escrow company. So I'm not sending the money directly to the seller. I'm sending it to an escrow company that's keeping track of everything. Got it. But there's some like person or agency that has like kind of accepted. Yeah, somebody's (laughs) dealing with it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really cool to think about. And I, it's a, it's a paradigm shift for me because I'm always thinking like the land that is desirable and that would be successful for an Airbnb or just a place to live. Like if it's somewhere that you actually want to be, it's going to cost a small fortune, but, but yet you know, you've you've got these properties all on this incredibly cheap land and they're all incredibly in, in incredibly high demand. So how do you how do you account for that? Yeah. Um, you know, so I search land by looking on Zillow on the app. You can make it go down to 50,000, I think. But on the computer, you can make it go down to a minimum of 20,000, which I really like. And then I go travel to these places and look at them and see if what the deal is with them, whether they're next to a train track or a trailer core or a junkyard or whatever the case might be. Or a lot of times, which is great for tiny houses, it's just that they don't have utilities, um, that getting utilities to these places would be a huge expense. So if your tiny house has, you know, solar and um, you have a way to get water, then, I mean, you can get some really beautiful areas for cheap yeah yeah absolutely and that that's a big one the utilities another one that i that i've run into is just um you know at least here in vermont like the the land that's cheaper will be completely undeveloped so there's there's no driveway or road in it's all wooded you know there's nothing yeah (laughs) that that sounds just like the kind of properties i like I've shot a few things with Zillow and the producer when she was coming, I think they've been to all of my properties except for the potato now. Um, she's coming to the Hawaii property and she's like, this seems like a Christy Wolf road. <laughs> all my places have like, you know, dirt roads for miles, you know, kind of get to. And I kind of sell that. I think, I think you might think that if you're going to be operating it as a business, that it has to be, as convenient as a hotel when in all likelihood people are coming to stay at your place because it is not a hotel. So 
in the course I talk a lot about, which isn't out yet, but I talk a lot about managing expectations and setting the appropriate expectations. So with my road, you know, we will say like rough roads lead to beautiful destinations. And we just put that in there as like, this is part of the adventure. And if that doesn't sound like something that you're going to be into, you're just not, it's not a good fit. And hopefully with all of the descriptions and pictures and stuff, you're finding the person who wants to have this no Wi-Fi, no utilities out in the middle of nowhere experience. And there's a lot of them. Yeah, it, it certainly seems that way. And it, it's it's such a great way to to see a place and to experience a place in a different way in, in a unique lodging situation. Yeah, I also think I joke that a lot of my, like the lookout, for instance, you just come to the lookout and do chores all <laughs> during your stay. You chop wood, you carry water, you know, everything takes so much effort. But when you think about most people's lives, they go to work in an office, they're comfortable, their entire, you know, they don't even have to think about how they get water, power, anything. And so for a lot of people, that seems like such a great experience to have to actually build a fire and produce heat and and pump your water and all of that. So I think a lot of people underestimate that. Now I spend so much of my time out in the woods, like you're saying, with nothing, that a lot of times when I go to stay someplace, I do end up staying in a normal house or in a hotel because I'm like, I just need to get clean right now. <laughs> I'm not looking for an experience. I just need to bathe, you know, and have Wi-Fi for a few hours. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes sometimes when you're living it 24-7, you just need somewhere that's like totally <laughs> vanilla and square. Yes. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about about the course that you're working on. Does it, you know, I guess, where does it start and end? Does it start from like, I have no property, no house, but I want to do an Airbnb? Or is it kind of like you already need to have something and then it picks up from there? No, you don't necessarily have to have a place, but it isn't, um, it's not about building at all. And I don't, approach codes at all because it varies so much. I mean, even with my potato, if I would have built on the other side of the road, I could have avoided so many things. So I don't go into all of that because I feel like it'd be really hard. Um, the course, you don't have to have a property uh, to start. There's a site called airdna.co and they um, can really help you select an area or if they can if you're totally open to where you want to build or buy or whatever, they'll even tell you the best places that, that have the best stats and have the least amount of rules and all that stuff. So you can definitely take the course before settling on something. I mean, it's kind of great if you don't have a spot already, because you can see what other people are making in the area that you are looking at and kind of give you some idea. Now, if you're building something unique, which, you know, the people on this podcast will be, take that as like the low end, what, what AirDNA is telling you and what Airbnb is telling you that you should offer. I would say that would be the low end because like my Hobbit Hole, for instance, it has million dollar lake homes all over the place and they're 2% rented 
in the winter and I'm a hundred percent occupied at $400 a night. So, and then Airbnb's suggested price would say, you should, you should advertise at $40 because there's no amenities and it's a studio (laughs) essentially. So be wary of that. But I kind of just walk you through setting up your listing, setting the appropriate expectations so that you can get the most out of the experience, get the guests you want, have them be really happy. And it will go into like a little bit of the philosophy. And I don't know if you've ever seen an Airbnb that has post-it notes everywhere of don't do this, this does that, whatever. And I'm like, that's just poor design. Wherever there's a note, it's a poor design and you should probably fix that. So I go into a lot of those things and then a little bit of marketing and a lot about the systems because I don't live in the area where I host. And so there's a lot about how to hire somebody, how to um, do changeovers, all of those things, the nuts and bolts. Yeah. I'm like stressing about having my tiny house on Airbnb 50 minutes away from where I live. Like that feels (laughs) like really far. Yeah. And in particular, I'm stressing about like, how am I going to hire somebody who's willing to do the humanor toilet? Yeah, that's, it's a concern, <laughs> but you can find them. I, my biggest tip that I have is when you go to put that ad up on Craigslist or wherever you advertise, I usually advertise on Craigslist and I don't hire housekeepers. I, I can hire anybody, but I found such a huge difference a couple of years in of changing my listing from housekeeper to caretaker and doing that. Like, Nobody really aspires to be a housekeeper, right? But to be a caretaker, there's like a certain romance. Like everybody's wanted to be an innkeeper at one point, you know, to run a bed and breakfast. Oh, that'd be so fun. And it really is more accurate of what they do because, um, or at least in my places, because there are fresh flowers, there are all the little details that make it special. And I really need somebody who like treats it as their own. And I've had really good luck. I've had people for years and years, so. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, I like the second this course comes out, I'm going to buy it. So just, <laughs> just know that. And I'll, I'll link to, I think right now there's just a landing page up where people yeah. can sign up to, to get notified. So I'll, I'll definitely put that uh, in the show notes. Yes. I do want to talk to you about something else, Ethan. I don't know if you saw, but Airbnb is launching a competition. Do you know this? I, you know, tell, tell, tell us about it. Okay. So they kind of held off on the marketing of it. They launched it and then the world went crazy. And so they pulled it, but it's still on and they're going to bump out the deadline. So the deadline was April 15th. Now it'll probably be somewhere in June, but Airbnb is giving away a million dollars, but between 10 people. So a hundred thousand dollars each. There's a few countries that aren't eligible, but it's worldwide to build something interesting, something unique, something crazy. And I get to be one of the judges and I'm the building mentor. So whoever wins, I get to kind of walk them through whatever obstacles. And I'm so excited about seeing what people do. How do you not have your own reality show is all I'm asking. Because I don't own my own production company. (laughs) I'm waiting for that. I've I've worked with too many that I'm not willing to sign my soul away. Yeah, I've not heard great things. No, I've 
maybe this is arrogance, but I feel like I could do it better. <laughs> so someday when I uh, get around to it, I'll shoot my own. But sure, nice. Well, that's I. I'll sign up for that too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that 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 I did a lot of consulting with Airbnb on like how much money should each person get, whether it be fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. You know, we went back and forth, and I feel like. A hundred thousand is, you know, much more than I have built my places for. And so, but there is some things like in certain countries where they'll have to pay taxes on that money and stuff. So it won't quite be that much, but I think it's like a really good sweet spot, even if you're not like an accomplished builder to be able to stretch yourself creatively and it doesn't have to be like that's the total. It's not, it isn't a reality show. You could have already started building or already purchased land. So you don't have to do it all for this amount of money, but that's just going to be a bonus. And then I think the only stipulation is that you have to have it on Airbnb for a year. And so do you have to, is this a new, you have to, this is a new piece of construction. It can't be something that has already been built. No, it can be something that's already built. Like if you had uh, like my fire lookout or any an abandoned barn, I mean, think cooler than that. <laughs> that's probably not the coolest. You, you could be remodeling something or even if you're working on some crazy cob house, but you have other plans for it, this money would put you, get you to the finish line. You can totally apply. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I, I hope that that someone listening will will do something and, and apply. I know. I'm so excited. Uh, are you I'm guessing as a judge, you're not eligible to uh, to submit. Yeah, that's the that's the downer part, because, yeah, I would have had this in the bag. <laughs> yeah. What what are you working on right now? Nothing. So my course has been like my main focus. And then this happened. So I'm waiting on. um doing anything so now it'll probably be summer ish but i don't know so hawaii had a bunch of rule changes with short-term rentals i could possibly go over there and build a closet hut in a way of making my treehouse still rentable or whatever but i don't know what's going to happen there i always need to build more hobbit holes but we're so busy and maybe if things change and, and there is a bigger lockdown or something, that might be a good opportunity to go work on that. I'm not sure. I'm just kind of open. I put a shipping container on my lot with the potato where I um, kind of began putting in a laundry room for my caretakers and me. And then the other part is a workshop. So and I have a tiny house that I built out here, which is that I'm in right now, but I only finished it to like meet code to get occupancy. So like, I, it doesn't have any of the finishes. So I'm kind of just, you know. And this is a stationary tiny house on a foundation. It is. Unfortunately, they made me put it on these gigantic um, footings. <laughs> but I do want to move it eventually to another spot on my lot but they made me put it here. So it'll be moved eventually. So speaking of, of certificates of occupancy and codes, um, what are some things that you, you look for? Like how deep do you get into reading the codes of a particular piece of land that you're going to buy like before you buy it? 
I don't. So this might be what my problem is. I I don't get, I don't do like crazy amounts of research. I feel like everything is figure outable. You know, there's a way around anything. When I was going through, I I did the potato and the silo, and there was a big thing with the county that my bathroom, which is in the silo, couldn't be separate from the potato. And so it was like months of of meetings and banging my head against the wall. But like I told them that if I had to make this its own town, I would. <laughs> like, so I just feel like I'm determined enough to get past anything. And I wasn't kidding when I said it. And so, you know, we did find workarounds. It it was very stressful. I don't recommend it. I think you should. And now that tiny houses are that people even know what you're talking about, it's so much easier to go talk to the building department about it. But really, I've just been building so remote that it hasn't really been a concern. Um, my hobbit hole was permitted, and but I had already bought the land. So I don't know what I would have done if they said no. I mean, I would have just had to figure out a way for them to say yes, essentially. And that might not be the smartest, but again, my places aren't very expensive. I don't, I'm not tying up like an insane amount, but usually there is a way to make what you want. If you're not in a downtown area, you know? Right. And that's always the, the tricky part. It's like, if you want to be in the city, the chances are that the building and zoning codes are strict and enforced. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I had my tiny house out here where the potato was for 10 years, never heard from the county at all. I built the potato. It went viral the next day they were out here. So that's also part of it, you know. So what what ended up happening with the potato and the bathroom? They, I was able to keep it all the same, but the requirement was that I had to build a tiny, well, I had to build a residence and I said, well, how, what's the smallest residence I can build? (laughs) And um, I had to build a residence on the same parcel, which I have four acres here. And this was, would be considered my primary residence, which would make the potato an accessory dwelling. And they have a thing called a sleeping unit. And that's what it's considered. And a sleeping unit doesn't have a bathroom or a full kitchen, which mine doesn't have. So that was that was what had happened. This was all made more stressful in that I told you that I I po- I released my property a month before I'm finished with it. So I had four months solid book, and then they said I couldn't have anybody there until the tiny house had occupancy. So I had to build wow. this thing real fast, and and move a lot of people around. And that was the stressful part. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> no, that sounds stressful. So what, so the current tiny house that you're in, what's, what are the dimensions and how, how'd you build it? Yeah, I actually bought a plan. So that's the first for me. Um, and it's really cute on Instagram. They're called hello Walden and it was a great name. Right. And it's a, I, I just bought it. I think it was like a hundred bucks or something. Cause I just needed something that had all the blueprints that they would just approve. And I was just wanting to bang something out. It's um, a 16 foot long by eight foot wide. It's got a taller loft in it. I want to say, trying to remember, I want to say it's like 
15 and a half feet tall. And they have a 200-ish square foot model too. And this one's 144, I think. That's so cool. And so it's just, it's like a stick framed house, pretty standard. Yep. Yep. Pretty standard. I have big plans for it. I want to build an identical one and put it behind. This will be the living space. The other one will be a work space. And then I plan on building a huge greenhouse around the whole thing. And uh, that's why I need to move it to another spot on my property. But speaking of codes and zoning, so this lot that I had forever, and it's just, it's, it's in Boise technically, but it's on the outskirts. There's nothing out here. This was all platted in 1895, which is about a few years after Idaho becomes a state. So the plat map and everything's like in calligraphy and it never, nothing ever came of it. But on my lot, there's a bunch of roads and alleyways. And they said I couldn't put my house behind the roadway. And it's just a big field, guys. So I had to build it a lot closer to the potato than I would like. And I have to get the, um, in Boise, the roads are owned and operated by another division, the highway division. So I have to get them to vacate these roads, which they've waived all their fees and said they would do, but it a few months process. And I couldn't wait those months for that to all go through. And the city wasn't willing to work with me to let me start and then say, well, this will be cleared up, even though I own all of the land that the subdivision's on. Frustrating. So frustrating. So, so wait, tell me more about this greenhouse idea. Yeah. Um, I do have a post. I'm very active on my Instagram stories. I'm not very active on my like timeline. So I have a post, maybe like six or nine posts back of a little um, mock-up of it but I want it to be barn shape, but it'll be the, the tiny house that I built is pretty modern um, shape. And I, and the, the greenhouse that I plan on building around it will be pretty sleek as well. And so basically it's just adding an eight foot perimeter around all the buildings. And I don't know if you have seen the, hotel in Africa where the giraffes can put their heads in while people are like eating breakfast. It's in Kenya. It might be called the the giraffe hotel. I don't know. But side note to the potato, I got a cow to live at the potato and she's like my best friend now. (laughs) And um, she's super personable. And uh, I say she's a way better dog than my dog is. I have my dog for 17 years now and she doesn't like any other humans. My cow doesn't like any other animals, but loves humans. So in that greenhouse, I plan on making the windows like the giraffe hotel, certain windows that can open up that she can actually stick her head in. Oh, that sounds adorable. And then also you'll have like warm weather all winter. Yes. Yes. And and Boise is still like the tropics of Idaho, but it still gets cold. Like it's usually sunny, but it still gets pretty cold. So I'm excited to do that. That sounds really cool. And I, I will look forward to seeing how you build the greenhouse Christy Wolf style on the cheap. Hey, me too. <laughs> yeah, because glass, glass is expensive. Yeah, it'll be a surprise to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you mentioned that you bought plans for this tiny house. Yeah. How, uh, how planned out are your builds typically? Like, are you getting architects to draw plans or are these just are you're kind of more back of the napkin? 
back of the napkin exactly. I will sketch an idea on napkins. I don't cook, so I eat out a lot. So there's a lot of that. And then when it comes down to it, I'll just sketch it up on graph paper. And then as I build, lots of things have to change because I can't think my way, because I'm not an architect, to think my way all completely through process. Um, the treehouse, for instance, um, if anybody sees it, it kind of has uh, the stilts that it's on are four foot wide. So it kind of created like a room underneath. And I did not want that. I was battling it so much. I just want it to be big poles, but I couldn't get any the size that I would need for it to be stable in Hawaii. If it was in Idaho, I could have got that. But in Hawaii, I just didn't have the resources. So I, for the hurricane winds and everything, I had to build these corners. But with that, now I love the way it looks. And it kind of created this little room down there. And I wasn't um, anticipating putting anything under the house originally. And now it has like one of the most photographed things from the property, which is this hanging bed that I made from a trampoline. And so it, it turned out to be so great. So I try to like, I know what the things, the end result I really want from it, but I, I don't hold myself to too many things. I don't get so tied to something that I'm not willing to ebb and flow as the building goes. So when you're building I, I'm assuming that you hire like no subcontractors, like you, you figure it all out or you've learned how to do it. Um, curious if you are, are you a like, look it up in a book, look it up on YouTube type, or do you just kind of like puzzle through it yourself and figure it out? Oh no, I've gotten really good at looking things up on YouTube. You know, I really kick myself when I, been struggling through something, trying to figure out something. And then I Google it and somebody else has done it. I'm like, why didn't I do that six hours ago? I'm such an idiot. So no, I, I look things up. The hard part for my build is that I'm not usually looking up the same thing. I have to think of, a, of what somebody else would be using this for. So an example is in my silo, it's sheetrocked and it's round and the shower is has sheetrock walls. And I didn't really want to like tile and have this like weird abrupt edge, you know, lots of things for me are driven by aesthetic. And so I have to find a way to like make it look how I want in my mind, but still be functional. So I didn't know what I was going to do because I didn't really want to tile these walls, but they need to be protected. And so I go down the road of like, what else could I do? Is there a different board? Is there a waterproof board that wouldn't look weird? Blah, blah, blah. And then I had met with somebody um, for the outside of the potato, which I didn't end up needing to do, but a poly, a poly coating company. And they gave me a crazy bid. So I was like, I'll be doing that myself. <laughs> that waterproof thing. And so I was like thinking, well, maybe I could use that coating in the shower. And then I started to think about that. And I was like, has anybody else, does anybody else have sheetrock walls in a shower, you know, besides the, just the upper part? And I finally found somebody who had used polycoat and it was like a prison system in Georgia had, had polyed all of their, uh, their showers. So they looked like hell, but it was the same thought process that I had was thinking 
And then I figured, well, how much different is that stuff than flex seal that's everywhere now? And so I flex sealed it with white paint and it's been seven months or so with like daily showers and it has held up so good. The water just beads off of it. And it was like a $26 fix. So that's usually how it goes. I'll be thinking of something and then it won't work for whatever reason and keep going down the rabbit hole until I'm days in and finally try a few things. That's a great tip because I think figuring out the shower in tiny house builds is is usually one of the more complicated parts because you don't want to use a fiberglass shower surround but like getting metal get you know custom fabrication of steel or metal is expensive and and yeah flex seal on sheetrock yeah well awesome one thing that i like to ask all my guests uh is what are two or three resources that you want to recommend to listeners and You've already mentioned so many like Air DNA uh, and Flex Seal and YouTube, but are there any <laughs> any other resources like on building or Airbnb? Yeah, or I knew anything? that you would ask this, and I feel like so many people have offered up so many great tiny house resources. I thought I would give you some for like hospitality wise. There's still not a ton, and especially when I started, there wasn't like anything on how to be a good host really or like hotel sort of like hotel management you know so i found some books that i really like there's one called peak by chip Connolly, and he owns some boutique hotels and then was later a advisor to airbnb and then there's one called heads and beds and it's kind of more of like a memoir of working in the hotel industry and then I feel like Walt Disney's biography, I don't know, I think it's just called Walt. I don't know who it's by, but that one's great in like thinking, even if you're not renting out your place, even if you want to live there, but like thinking of the whole experience. And um, I had already built several homes when I read that book, but it was like, oh, this is so good. And I'm not like a Disney sort of person, <laughs> you know, I've, I, I don't, I haven't seen any of the shows since I've been an adult, but like the attention to detail that he had with, uh, you know, all the five senses and, you know, going through a walkway in the, um, concrete changing to a different type of ground that you're walking on just so that you can feel it. All of those things are so great. And then there was another book. I, I can't remember the artist or the author, but it's called honey farm dreams i think and it's about a gal who has like a working farm place that you can stay in australia and really the ups and downs of hosting people from all walks of life so i think those are some good ones to get you in the right mindset of like is this something that you want to do and if it excites you that's great and if it's like terrifying then you probably don't want to be a host <laughs> all right well christy wolf thank you so much for this like just so packed with information and just great tips for for would-be Airbnb hosts. So thanks for being on the show. Yeah, great catching up with you. Thank you so much to Christy Wolf for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes from today's episode, including links to Christy's Airbnb properties, photos of all of them, and more at thetinyhouse.net slash 111. 
Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 111. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.